Well, good morning, friends. I'm so glad you could be with me as we get back to continuing our study in 1 John. We're in the fifth chapter of 1 John. Now, today, I want to pick up our reading in verses 11 to 13 of chapter 5 of 1 John. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. As we've been working our way through the fifth chapter, the preceding verses to our verses today, really verses uh, starting in verse 6 and onward, we've been talking about some truth claims for the gospel, proofs to us that the gospel promises are actually true. We talked about the fact how all important truth claims need validation. They need supporting evidence. God sets that standard up in the scriptures themselves. And we gave the example in Exodus having to do with with the accusation of murder needing to be backed up by two witnesses. And the accusation in the New Testament against a religious leader, against a pastor or shepherd in a church, have to also be backed up by two witnesses, not merely one. Well, God's provided four witnesses, four testimonies, to the truth of the claims of the gospel. And we spent some time looking at each of them. The water, the blood, the Holy Spirit... And then yesterday we finished with the internal change in our lives when we respond to the gospel. Four outstanding evidences of the truth of the gospel itself. I'd encourage you to go back and review those very points. If it's you weren't able to be with us or it seems like a while since you were thinking about it, go back and examine it. I think it would be helpful for you. Now today, we shift gears a little bit, but not that much. We're looking at a particular outcome of the gospel, a particular promise tied to the gospel. And it is this promise that God has given us eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's testimony to us as the ESV translates it. The word testimony here is the same word we've been encountering in the preceding verses where it can be translated witness. It's the different witnesses or testimonies to the truth of the gospel. Here, God is saying, this is my testimony, my witness to you, my promise to you as a child of God that I am giving you eternal life. The word testimony translates the Greek word materia, which means a testimony that's validated. A testimony, for example, in our contemporary world, given on the witness stand and validated and, you know, swear to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth in the United States is the staying that goes with it. It's that sort of witness stand proclamation. The preceding testimonies or witnesses were about the gospel. This testimony from God is about the promise of eternal life to us. God makes a promise to each one of us who have responded to the gospel. And that promise is that I now give you eternal life. He is promising to give a gift of life to people that are dying. Listen, the truth of the matter is the scripture makes it plain people are truly dying apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. The value of what God is offering here is 
lost on people who don't realize they're dying. They're not even interested in it. Such people will look at it and say, well, so what? What's that all about? Uh, I don't see myself as dying at all. But of course, the scriptures make it plain to us that our sin has initiated a process that will eventually lead to our death. Not only our physical death, but ultimately a spiritual death of separation from God. God is making a promise to us. And he is saying, the truth is, all people are dying apart from Jesus Christ due to the plague of sin. And I sent my son into this world, the good news, the gospel, to solve that dilemma. Those who do not repent and believe are still dying and dead. Those who've repented and believed in the gospel have been given life, not just forgiveness, not just a solution to sin, but eternal life. Notice how he puts it in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin, the outcome, in other words, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So there we're picking up again on these verses in 1 John chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 2 makes this contrast, this stark contrast, even clearer. In the opening part of the second chapter of Ephesians, it talks about us as human beings, and it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were without hope and without God in this world. But God sent his son into the world to do something about that for us. So here's the truth. Part of the message we share with the world, not because we came up with it, but because God revealed it in his scripture, is that all of us are dying and will permanently be separated from God unless something is done to stop it. And that something is what was accomplished at the cross and that God has called for us to repent and believe in. Something can happen. Something can change. Therefore, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has the life. Whoever doesn't have the son doesn't have the life. It's that simple and that profound and that immutable. There is only one way, as we so often talk about in this time. Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, this eternal life that's being talked about here, we need to understand biblically that we're talking about more than just not dying. The fact of the matter is, biblically, everybody continues to exist even when their body dies. The real issue is not whether we exist. The issue is where we will be. And eternal life has to do with the where we will be. Eternal life is more than merely continuing to exist. It is being with God, the Heavenly Father, as we continue to exist. Death does not end conscious existence. Think of when Jesus was talking about the rich man and Lazarus. And upon their death, the rich man is very aware. He's still aware. And he sees that he's separated from paradise where the, where the poor man is. Uh, where Lazarus is. And so the rich man is looking at that and saying, oh Lord, send this message to my, to my family so that they don't end up where I am. Do you see it? Conscious awareness 
even with physical death, of a continuing existence. The issue again is not whether we continue to exist. The continue the issue is where do we continue to exist? <laughs> what is the outcome of our lives at that particular point? Death either transition us into relationship with God in the joy of being in the presence of the Lord, or death ushers us into a conscious separation from God and a suffering separated from him. Transition either into the wonder of the presence of the Lord or disaster. It's that clear. The Bible makes it that clear. That's why we share the gospel with people because of the reality of our continuing existence and our continuing accountability before the God who is really there. This eternal life, therefore, that 1 John 5 is talking about, means that we will continue to have an unending right relationship with God. Not merely existing, but existing in a full, purposeful, satisfying life. Completed, fulfilled, forgiven, accepted. It is the opportunity to experience life not only now but forever, the way God created it to be experienced. To experience life in the sense of that which satisfies the deepest yearnings of our heart, that satisfies how we were created to be. God has created us for himself. That eternal life, God says, begins the moment that we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. And it continues from that moment onward without break forever. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, as Paul put it. There's the great hope for those of us who know Jesus Christ. And this life, which does not end with our physical death, this fullness and satisfying relationship with God, leads in an eternal sense to an amazing, wonderful outcome. Let me read that outcome in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 to 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For all of the former things have passed away. This is a description after the judgment and eternal separation of those who've rejected the gospel. For those that accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, he says, this is what is in store. This is what will be true for us. Well, join me tomorrow as we continue to look at these things and investigate further this great promise of God that we encounter in verses 11 to 13 of 1 John. God bless.